I don't know that we can fully reparent without some kind of connection to great mother, great father, however we want to language it and conceive of it. Otherwise, it's just too much for it to be all up to us. We can hand it over. We can ask for help from something other than ourselves. Welcome to Perennials, a podcast about growing up, getting wise, and trying to live a good life. I'm Victoria Russell. Today, I'm sharing part two of my conversation with Cheryl Paul about learning to parent ourselves. In part one, we talked about some basic definitions, what Cheryl means by inner parent, and some of the nuts and bolts of taking responsibility for the more mundane and less fun aspects of being an adult and taking care of yourself. And in part two, I feel like we got to go even deeper and into a really rich conversation about, as Cheryl puts it, dropping down from the headspace that so many of us um, spend a lot of time in into our body and our heart, which can be really unfamiliar and even kind of scary, I think, sometimes but where a lot of the gold is in terms of learning to parent ourselves, learning to strengthen the part within us that can meet big feelings, that has compassion, that offers patience and kindness, and through that can actually become stronger and wiser and more able to handle things. So I hope you enjoy the conversation. You can find Cheryl online at her website, Conscious Transitions, or on Instagram at Wisdom of Anxiety. And as always, if you want to share any thoughts with me about this episode or even suggestions for future episodes, you can email me at perennialspodcast at gmail.com or message me on Instagram at perennialspodcast. As you're learning to to parent yourself and you're meeting yourself, say in a moment where you've kind of met your edge and you're having your adult version of a temper tantrum or a meltdown or whatever it might be, how do you kind of bring that warmth and compassion and acceptance while also holding yourself to the standard of an adult? Is this question making sense? It's totally making sense. Um, and to me, and tell me if this is what you're getting at or what, if I'm responding to the question, um, when we're at our edge and when the inner, our inner adult is also kind of at her edge, right? <laughs> and we really are at that place of overwhelm or frustration or despair, or it just feels like too much, whatever it is. To me, that's when we access the very human need and skill of reaching out mm. for help. Calling a friend, reaching for a partner if we have one, calling a parent if that's a safe relationship, right? If you have a therapist, making a, you know, hey, do you have a 10 minute window? Because that is such a core place inside around need that tends to get shut down very early on. Our need for contact, our need for help, our need to have somebody else be there with us through the hard thing. 
And so when there's a wound around asking for help, yeah. it makes it very difficult then. And then that's where the attention needs to go through the journaling, through the therapy is attending to that core wound because we need others. And that is part of reparenting. In fact, one of my, um, one of my um, Instagram, well, she's actually a friend now, um, but someone I met through Instagram just wrote about this today, Australian psychologist about um, our emotional needs. And that that's part of reparenting is mm. how do we meet those emotional needs, not just inside of our own selves, mm. right? But to recognize that we need others. We need those connections. And so when it's just too much for me, if I'm going through something really hard with one of my kids or with my husband, um, I mean, if it's really too hard with one of my kids, I'll reach for my husband often. If it's too hard with my husband, I'll reach for a friend. I don't have, for whatever reason, I don't have a lot of wounding around needing help, needing others. But I know it's a very common wound, the belief, I just have to deal with it by myself. Help's not going to come anyway. Yeah. I don't want to bother anybody. I don't want to be a burden. I should know how to handle this on my own. Or even I don't know how to ask for this in a way. I just don't know how to ask. Like when you're a kid, you might think, oh, when I'm an, when I'm an adult, I'll have all the answers. Mm -hmm. um, and maybe you don't see, you don't really see the adults in your life asking for help um, or you don't really see that modeled or, you know, um, yeah. does that make sense? Yes. Yes. And that it's okay. Yes. If you haven't seen adults asking for help and let's say there's a stigma around therapy, for example, mm -hmm. right. Then you would be very reluctant to get help. Um, but it's, again, it's that other, it's, it's not seeing that skill mm -hmm. modeled makes it very difficult then to do it yourself. Plus if you did ask for help, um, as a very young person and it didn't come for whatever reason, let's say there were just so many siblings or your parents were overwhelmed and there weren't enough adults and hands. And then you would have learned very early on. What's the point, mm -hmm. right? My needs don't matter. And so you, you wouldn't have even developed that skill of, yeah, how do I ask for help? But maybe what you're saying is to, maybe you recognize you have the need, but then the voice comes in of, I don't know how, but to me, that sounds like a perfectionist voice because the how is just, you pick up the phone and <laughs> I'm struggling, help me. You know what I, I, I'm thinking of? I'm thinking of people who were parentified at a young age. I feel like that has an impact then when you actually become an adult, um, you'd want to find ways that, that feel good and right for you to ask for other people's help. Yes. But I'm going to say, I think it still comes down to my needs don't matter mm. because if you were parentified, you grew up in an environment where it was about taking care of everybody else's needs and tuning into their needs and learning to orient towards their needs and feeling responsible for their needs and their emotional well-being. And so there was a an eclipsing of the child's needs. 
So she wouldn't, or he wouldn't have even been aware of having needs to begin with. And then yes, the whole conversation around needs is oriented towards other people's needs, but my needs don't matter and maybe don't even exist Mm. because they've never been honored. Mm. And all this to say it's, it's a dance because if you're only oriented towards reaching out and getting help, but there's no inner parent, um, it's, it's then not going to feel good to the people that you're, you're expecting them to be your inner parent, help me, fix me, rescue me, make it better, do it for me. Right. That's, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about when you have enough of an inner sense of self, you have that inner relationship, but those moments where it's just, you just need someone else to be on the other end of the phone while you cry no, and they're not there to fix you or give you answers. They're just there to hold that space with you the way that like you're listening to these parenting podcasts, which I love that you're doing that. <laughs> um, <laughs> the way that a parent hopefully can be there for their child's big feelings, right? To hold, we say just hold space. The just is monumental. It's yeah. really a hard thing to do to hold that space without coming in to try to fix. I watch myself every single day when my kids are in their emotional selves, watching that part of me that wants to fix it. Mm-hmm. Oh, but, but we could go buy that thing that you're so sad about, you know, whatever it is. I would never do that with a client, or even with a friend. But when you, it's your child, it's you so much want them to not hurt. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's a challenge to just be with them, just be with them in their hurt and trust their process around it without trying to rescue them, take away the disappointment, take away the grief, the sadness, whatever it is that's coming up. Yeah. And to do that for yourself, to just <laughs> be with those feelings or those experiences? It's huge. It's huge. And people ask me all the time, how do you grieve? Yeah. How do you be with the big feelings? Right. And it's, it's not a three-step process. It's, it's a mindset. It's an intention. It is a skill learning to allow the feelings, trusting that you can handle them, You know, I walk people through all the beliefs that we have about big feelings that get in the way of being with them because we have so much fear around big feelings. What if I never stop crying? What if I go crazy? What if I fall into a deep depression? What if all of that um, identifying and then learning to inhabit our bodies because so many of us went up into our heads very early in our lives and it's huge part of reparenting is learning to come back down, drop in, notice your physical body, walking through the sensations, using, noticing the sensation as a doorway, as an entry point into the emotion, the physical, where we hold feeling in our body, the tightness in the chest, the tightness in the throat, 
as indicators of grief. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's a de-thawing process. And that's a big part of, of, I think, what we're talking about and what reparenting is, is coming back into relationship with neck down world, heart and body world. Mm. I'm thinking about how lucky I feel to have found a therapist who Mm. models this really well. Yes. I, I feel like I've, you know, when I started seeing her about two years ago, I was in such like physical anxiety that it was difficult for me to even sit there in her office. And to, mm-hmm. on the outside, she was like, are you anxious right now? And I was like, extremely. And she was like, I can't tell because I just, it's been such a way of being for me that people think I look so calm or sound. So like I was articulating these things to her sitting there. Yeah. <laughs> she was like, okay, you sound very calm and aware. And I was like, I'm flipping out in my body right now. Like, yeah. you know, my, I feel like I'm going to pass out with anxiety. Um, and she was just so able to be like, there's nothing wrong with you. Mm. You know, it's okay. I'm here and I'm not forcing anything on you. And it was really interesting how so many of the things, so much of the physical anxiety over time went away because she just Mm. has that very warm, loving, accepting. I'm not scared. I'm not going anywhere. You're not too much. There's nothing wrong with you. You're Mm. safe. Yes. Yes. Such a blessing that you found her and you know, how happy I am that you're with her, (laughs) (laughs) that I love her by proxy for you. (laughs) Um, And may everybody find such a therapist, such a guide in their life, because that is one of the great gifts of therapy, right? That you get to sit with somebody in that space of unconditional positive regard, right? You feel completely accepted, where they, there's nothing you could say that would make them stop loving you and that there is in fact real love in the room and they're not afraid of it. I mean, yeah. because love can be a dirty word in, in psychotherapy world sometimes, but it shouldn't be um, because we know it's, it's what heals. And without that in the room, you're only going to get so far. Related to that, I'm I see so much in your, when you write on your blog about parenting your sons, so much of it is about seeing their gifts or their, their strengths and just really supporting that. And so I'm curious what you might say to someone about doing that for yourself, Mm. especially if it's hard for people to to see the good in themselves. Mm, yes. When we're connected to our strengths and our gifts, and that's a guiding force in our life, in our life, it's a North star. It gives us a very strong sense of ourselves, a sense of direction. Um, you know, Dave, my husband is working in the world of addiction right now. And 
he sees so often in his clients, that sense of meaninglessness of, Mm -hmm. I don't know what I like. I don't even know what I want to be doing with my life. And that's a very scary place to be because we all have intrinsic gifts. We all have offerings that we are meant to be sharing. And when those weren't reflected growing up, we, it's so easy to lose touch. It's so easy for those to get squashed down, not just in parenting, but in school with peers and religion and in, in early romantic relationships or college or in so many places where we lose touch with our spark, with what makes us feel alive. Um, you know, my son Everest just took this, I thought, fascinating class. He was a little bit less fascinated on resilience and recovery. Mm. And one of the things that they talked about in terms of what makes someone resilience is having a very strong sense of meaning and purpose. Mm-hmm. So that even if you go down, if you have that sense of meaning and purpose, you can you can rise back up. And he, he loved that part of the course because he does have a very strong sense of purpose and meaning because of his love of aviation and wanting to be a pilot. Now that's rare to have that at age 16, right? Most people don't have that when they're 16. It's much more diffuse. Like I like to do this and then a little bit of this and here and there. And so it doesn't mean just one thing. And I think people get really stuck there when they, when we talk about a calling and they get very stuck in that whole, well, what's my, I don't know what my calling, it doesn't mean it's just one path, but it means having that sense of what my gifts are. And it doesn't even necessarily mean that they translate into a career, right? Our gifts are, are our kindness. Our gifts are, have a gift for gardening. Our gifts are, I, I love cooking for people, right? We, there's so many ways that gift shows up um, and that we can be in connection with something bigger than ourselves and in service of our community, of our friendships, of our land. Um, and so it doesn't have to be, you know, I think we, we, we think of it in this very myopic way yeah. of, I always knew I wanted to be a therapist. Well, you know, I didn't. <laughs> and, and, and as I've talked about before, there's probably four other things I could have done that I would have loved. And that's not, so the thing is not the point where you land. It's bringing yourself and the ways that you show up, you know, into whatever the palette onto the palette of what we call work, you know, in the world. And I think that's where people can get really stuck. What you're speaking to is like, maybe you do see a certain gift that you have or something that you're good at, but you don't see how that translates into having value in a capitalist society. Right. So it's again, like that cultural and societal context that, um, it can be really, confusing. And then it can be easy to, to say, to make these statements, like I don't have any skills or I'm not good at anything because you're not seeing something that you instantly know what job it should, you should do and how you can make money doing it. Right. It's a very complex conversation. And that is exactly where people often do get stuck. Um, and even if they could make money doing the thing that they love most, they might not want right, to, they right. might not want to, you know, try to put their art into the public sphere to that degree right. and expose themselves to all of that rejection and everything right. that comes with, with the work world. Right. Um, but I think the, the basic 
the place to land is to know what you love and then to decide from there. And that there's the inner parent is having that discernment, having that place of self-trust and self-knowledge um, well enough in place to say, well, this is what I love, but it's not necessarily what I want to do for work um, or can do for work mm-hmm. because yes, we do live in a culture that doesn't um, exactly revere the arts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's, um, it's so important to at least know mm-hmm. and to, to start to, to, to make that a starting point of what do I love? What makes me feel alive? You know, what are those places and practices and people that fill me up? You know, when I think, and if we lose touch with that, thinking back and trying to go way back and what did I love to do as a kid? Yeah. And that's where just linking it back to that inner child term, having that conversation with sort of a general inner child of um, what do you love? Mm-hmm. What makes, what's fun for you? Mm-hmm. What's play for you? What did you spend hours and hours doing? Right. Yes. Yes. And not realizing the time. And- yes, exactly. Mm. Something I think about a lot that I think I've mentioned on the podcast before is I remember there was an interview, I think Oprah interviewing Toni Morrison and Toni Morrison said she started to notice like how she was greeting her children when they walked in the room or when they first woke up and like walked into the kitchen mm. and that you know, she was like instantly like, oh, fix your, you know, fix your shirt and comb your hair. And she started just catching herself and then just saying, I'm so happy to see you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and she was like, no, I like Brene Brown talks about this, like notice how you greet people. Mm. And to me, that's just the one, one of the first places my mind goes when I think about, you know, like learning to parent ourselves. Like, do we have a sense towards ourselves and then also just like towards the people that we love and are closest with of like, I'm so happy to see you just as a starting point. Yes. That's so beautiful. Um, you know, I talk a lot about morning and evening as these very potent liminal times, often when anxiety is heightened. Um, when we're so raw and vulnerable coming from the unconscious dream world and going back into it. Um, And this idea of how we greet our children, but also how we greet ourselves first thing in the morning, and then also how we greet the day. And this is where I think those spiritual practices, I think about braiding sweet grass, which is just one of my most favorite books of how we how we are in relationship to ourselves, to our loved ones, to our children, and to the natural world. Mm -hmm. And having that sense of, you know, not only I'm happy to see you, but thank you. Mm -hmm. That sense of gratitude, that sense of, oh, I'm awake. I get to have another day. And maybe it's so dark in my psyche when I first wake up and maybe I'm dreading something and maybe there's anxiety right there, right? 
so often I hear my clients, it's like coming from a hard dream or coming, just opening their eyes and it's right there. But to have that, even in the midst of that, I'm alive. Here's my breath. Thank you for my body. Thank you for my breath. And, and if you can look out the window and see a tree or the sky or the sun rising, that, that we, it, it reminds us that we are in connection to something bigger than ourselves as well. And to me, that is also reparenting. That is also remembering that, again, it's not all up to us that we can reach for others and we can also reach for something bigger than us to hold us when we wake up in the morning, to hold us as we're going into sleep at night, Mm -hmm. to know that we are not alone, that there are invisible helpers, that there are um, trees and birds and squirrels, that there are ancestors that we've come from, that we have lost touch with in our Western rational scientific mindset. But it doesn't mean they're not there and it doesn't mean we don't need them. And to me, I don't know that we can fully reparent without some kind of connection to great mother, great father, however we want to language it and conceive of it. Otherwise, it's just too much for it to be all up to us. Mm-hmm. Right? That we have to remember that we can hand it over. We can ask for help you know, from something other than ourselves. That's so beautiful. Mm. I feel like just this wave of different faces coming to me. Like sometimes I just feel like there are so many guardian angels out in the world. Yes. And just noticing that whether it's a crossing guard or a barista at a coffee shop who gives you directions or a little kid on the subway who makes you smile Mm. or like just these, just the big ones too. But there are so many like guardian angels out there. It makes me think of Mr. Rogers saying, look for the helpers. Yeah. Look for the helpers, not only in the danger and the emergency, in the big ones and the 9-11s and the, but, you know, every day. Yeah. Every day. It's like they're, they're all around us. So it's really orienting toward that mindset of goodness and gratitude Mm -hmm. and that we are all connected in some way that we we know we can't totally understand it, but we know, you know, mm-hmm. and it is those small moments when we make contact and when we recognize that there are helpers visible and invisible all around us. <sighs> so beautiful. I could just <sighs> talk to you for hours and hours and hours. Um, <laughs> Good thing we're related and we can <laughs> 
Do you mind if I ask my last classic question? Well, now there's like two questions. You can choose which one. Choose okay. your adventure. Okay. For the last cool. question. <laughs> cool. How fun. Um, one question is, what is something that you are learning about or growing into mm. lately? Or what's something that's making you feel alive lately? Mm. Mm-hmm. I like both of those. <laughs> um, spring is making me feel alive. Yeah. Even though we have two feet of snow on the ground, it's, <laughs> I still feel spring, um, the changing of the time, the lengthening of the day of the daylight, the sound of the birds, um, feeling personally, but also collectively that we are emerging. We are coming out of this very, very challenging year. We're not out yet and we're exhausted, but we sense that there's, there's something opening. There's an opening happening. Um, And You know, when I take the time to be in that space, um, when I come out here to my beloved studio and slow down into that space, that is my greatest source of aliveness, always. Um, Any season, really. But I think it's easier to tap into aliveness in spring for me anyway. I know that's not true for everybody, but um, to me, it's just an extraordinary season of awakening and opening and and new life and rebirth. Um, so I think that's what's making me feel most alive right now is spring. Mm-hmm. Thank you. You're always so poetic about it. I love it. (laughs) Thank you, Victoria. Thank you so much. I love you. I love you too. Thank you so much for listening to the Perennials Podcast. I'm Victoria Russell. If you enjoyed today's episode, please share it with a friend, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps other people find the show. You can follow along on Instagram at Perennials Podcast or send me an email at perennialspodcast at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you. The song you're hearing now is I Orbit a Moon by Paul Finn. <laughs>